Oh, yeah, here's a weighty question. Uh, what would be the demo response to the excitement everyone has about artificial intelligence, chat GPT or something? Um, I think we're living in a time where uh, the faculty of the intellect is uh, kind of overvalued already anyhow. And a uh, true human being, the one that has consciousness connected to a human form, has got all five kandas, rupa form, this physical body, then feeling, and the artificial intelligence wouldn't feel anything, it wouldn't be conscious either, and perception and uh, intention, and most of that is lacking. And uh, what I have seen, as we are just doing the precepts, Intelligence doesn't necessarily mean that people um, are keeping the precepts better. And some people may use a high level of intelligence to be even more evil and create more harm. And it's quite fascinating. Uh, being more intelligent doesn't mean that they are more committed to ethical behavior, not harming others. But they usually have a better excuse why they're breaking the precepts. And they have a lawyer's mind and they find some loophole or they just find some excuse. So I think we shouldn't overvalue this particular aspect of intelligence. And the biggest difference is whatever machine or computer or software system you have there, there wouldn't be any consciousness really connected with it. It's not a living being in the Buddhist sense and is only derived from what people programmed into it beforehand. So ultimately, you know, the responses is a kind of summary and conglomerate of uh, what human beings before have put in there and what other beings, other human beings have put already on Wikipedia and so on. That doesn't mean it's not dangerous. I personally see more danger there than uh, advantage. And... Uh, just recently, and uh, someone tried that out in the committee in writing a certain letter. And I must admit, I was quite impressed by the letter that came out. But it also devalues everything. Now, when you get a letter for your birthday, which is you know, really nice, and we are so happy, and I wish you all the best for your birthday, and so on. And then someone later tells you this was all written by ChatGPT, or what? Would you really feel appreciated anymore? So uh, it's a very important question to bring up. I don't think off the cuff I can give an exhaustive answer. The crucial one is uh, this is not a true living being because consciousness is not connected with it. It's only derived from the consciousness of real human beings. But I feel very concerned about that in particular once the artificial intelligence is making decisions in bureaucracy, military, police, enforcement, administration. Now just imagine you arrive at the border and we're already getting used to putting our passports just into these machines. And then it just doesn't give you access. And I'm not sure whether you have seen these uh, artificial dogs, these robot dogs. It's quite frightening and they can also mount a machine gun or anything on top. And just imagine you have got this robot dog approaching you and then by artificial intelligence assessing whether you are a terrorist that needs to be eliminated or whether you are okay. 
and I feel very uh, queasy about that. One big difference, even in the worst dictatorship, uh, ultimately you would still need human beings ne, to enforce a dictatorship. And that means ne, that these people may have a conscience, often they don't show much of a conscience, ne, but at least theoretically, uh, this is how it can all fail. And uh, a person may decide that they're not enforcing the orders. I remember actually, uh, I lived only a few hundred meters from the place where the wall came down in Berlin. I may remember 1989, that was one of the main events, the wall dividing East and West Berlin, coming down one of the main events of the end of socialism and the end of Soviet Union and so on. And it was only a few hundred meters away, but only years later I learned Uh, that was actually the decision of the particular officer was on charge in charge of that um, border crossing because there was a border crossing already and it was not that someone kicked the ball over there was a crossing already but usually for the easterners it would be extremely difficult to get permission to pass it to the west and there was this event where they made some new law and then a rumor going around that uh, they can travel immediately, which was not the intention of the law, but uh, some 10,000 people congregated at that particular border crossing. And so this officer had you know, 50 armed border guards and 10,000 people screaming and pushing and wanting to go across. And when he called his superiors, you know, they all wiggled out by not answering the phone. And he was left and what to do now. And then made the decision to just open the border and just let them all go. And now this is one of these unsung heroes. And uh, it took years. I learned that only, I think, now a few years ago on Wikipedia. Those days, no one knew that. And his name is completely, uh, was completely unknown. I can't remember it now. And there are many heroes like that. And, um, during the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 1960s, there was this uh, Soviet submarine with nuclear weapons on board, diving close to Cuba. And then the American Navy decided to bomb them with the water bombs, not with the intention to destroy them, but with the intention to force them to the surface. This is obviously in a high-risk game. And when they uh, had these water bombs exploding around them, they had to make a decision whether they use nuclear weapons which they had on board of that submarine. And in order to release these nuclear weapons, there had to be three people independently putting a code in and using their key. And all three had to turn their personal key. And apparently what later came out, the two actually wanted to do it the captain, first officer, and weapons officer, whatever. And two actually decided to uh, respond on this water bomb attack with a nuclear weapon. Because you know, they felt you know, their, their life is threatened there, and that U-boat is threatened. And one person disagreed. And again, I'm not sure they even have ever heard of it, or whether you know the name. I forgot the name as well now, a Russian Soviet officer. And he may well have saved, you know, with that courage, he may well have saved you know, the world from uh, nuclear extermination and hardly known. 
there was another Soviet guy when they had a false alarm because these early warning systems, you know, they often give false alarms actually. And so he got this alarm that, that American nuclear missiles are coming in attacking Soviet Union. And then they have about half an hour those days. By now, when they're putting the nuclear weapons into Ukraine and Poland and Estonia, from Estonia to St. Petersburg, they may have a few minutes. Those days they had half an hour about. And uh, this guy had seen before how that goes wrong and how certain weather conditions can cause that. And he could he was aware of the international geopolitical situation and there were no tensions and he couldn't imagine that this is a real attack and he was pretty sure that it's like before a weather balloon or whatever. And he didn't pass the information on to his superiors, which is against all regulations, against and might have had serious repercussions and he might ended up in the gulag if it was a real attack. Again, another unsung hero who may have saved the world from nuclear extermination. But that was only possible because there was a human being there with consciousness and making an ethical decision. The, the same is reported from the beginning of the First World War. The people who did the telegraphing, they, the messages were in code and they had to write these coded messages into clear hand. And both on the on the German side and on the other side somewhere, there were two telegraph officers who deliberately wrote completely like garbled messages that were in plain language but did not make any sense in order to try and stop the declaration of war. Fantastic, I've never heard of that. Someone is just sharing uh, at the beginning of First World War, uh, both on the German and what Russian or French side? I, 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 have, to, I have it at home, I photocopied. Now on both sides, uh, some of the guys those days had telegraph, probably with Morse codes there. In any case, they uh, deliberately gave garbled messages that didn't make any sense, rather than transmitting the mobilization order probably. Because once they put the mobilization order out, then that was it usually. Yeah, again, unsung heroes, I haven't even ever heard of it. But this is the human beings with a consciousness and hopefully a conscience. And I think uh, nowadays Soviet Union or Russia, and I'm not sure about US, have already implemented this called dead hand, where in a nuclear attack, um, when the leadership becomes incapacitated, you know, the response is automated. And then no one can stop it anymore. It's one actually by you know, this official um, artificial system. But I think only for the case that the leadership is somehow can't be reached or already bombed away. But uh, imagine that the danger, no one could stop it then. And this is the biggest danger I see, you know, that crucial decisions which involve real human beings are being made by this artificial intelligence. And if anything goes wrong, very, very bad. Even now I notice when you go onto the internet and you have to do a visa application or any other forms, usually you have a menu with multiple choice options. 
So you can click only the choices they give you. And being in my own situation as a Buddhist monk living in a Western country and I had a name change and I have two nationalities and all these very unusual things and I, I never fit into any form properly. I've learned to live with that. But if you have human beings, they can usually accommodate that. If you don't fit the prearranged pattern or blueprint for the form, a human being could somehow accommodate that. But with these multiple choice, when you go through that, sometimes I have to click things which, strictly speaking, are not 100% true, because all I can do is clicking the one which is closest to the truth. It's the only, only option you have to actually move forward in the menu. This is not really artificial intelligence yet, but it's already in a, a little bit of a problem. Schuchmauer wrote that mathematics is the lowest form of human intelligence. And the evidence for that is the fact that it can be performed by machines. Quote from Schopenhauer, mathematics is the lowest form of human intelligence. And that can be proven by the fact that it can be performed by machines. And I totally agree. I totally agree, because higher intelligence involves wisdom and involves ethical decisions, involves an understanding of what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, what is good, what is evil. And no computer can do that, really. This is a unique ability of human beings to make a decision that you want to keep five precepts, that you don't want to harm anyone, even if you get attacked yourself. Yeah, Janet. I just wanted to find out from you how how we can counter, as well as how we can counter that overwhelming sense of, of sadness, things that are happening that do seem to be um, just that if they go in one direction, they could be very harmful. Another way, I'm getting all these juicy questions today. Really, really, yeah, not not easy to answer questions. So Jeanette commenting uh, that you know, often uh, focusing or paying attention to all the things that uh, go wrong in this world and additionally those that might go wrong can cause you know, uh, quite a bit of dis distress and depression and grief and whether the uh, practice of the Eightfold Path is not rather uh, not paying any attention to that and instead to simply focus on developing the Eightfold Path and um, progressing uh, until the release is attained. And I think there's no, how to say, uh, there's no one-sided answer to that. I think it's an application of the uh, middle way. The one extreme would be getting caught up in the worldly issues and in particular responding with grief and excitement. But the other extreme would be uh, simply blotting it out and trying to ignore it when one is still affected by it or is able to influence it. And the middle way, in my understanding, would be to know enough that we can make uh, ethical decisions because uh, we are all participating in larger society, although our contribution uh, in the greater scheme of things is very small but it's still a contribution, and even if it's just maybe the act of voting 
and the other little things and how we spend our money. I think that the power is actually more in how we spend our money than in voting. I'm not sure whether voting necessarily changes it so much, but in a capitalist market economy system, I think how you use money is quite important and how we use the internet and so on. So uh, the first thing is my suggestion, uh, if we do keep informed, at least to a sufficient level that we know roughly what's happening, that we can make decisions what to do in an appropriate way, is a difference between knowing about it or being grieved by it. And of course that is a difficult exercise, but the idea would be not to deny things the putting on the pink glasses, everything is fine and everyone is just like nice, cuddly, friendly people who practice metta, which is just uh, wouldn't be true. There is bad stuff happening. So not denying it, but being willing to recognize where there's a danger or where something is going wrong or where war may be happening so that we are not contributing to that but not getting overwhelmed and not getting too excited. And the one problem with this, for example, question on artificial intelligence, and if you go into that, you may download chat GPT, which I haven't done yet. Felt a little bit tempted when everyone is talking about it and trying it out, but then I thought, what's the point? And uh, one can get a little bit lost in it and it become, can become addictive even once you know you already understand that maybe a war is something you're not supporting and then you don't necessarily need so much more information about all the details of that war that will just cause what you mentioned, the grief and distress. On the other hand, I think it's important to have sufficient information that we can make the right decision where we are contributing or rather not contributing if it's something bad. And that requires a considerable amount of wisdom. And in the old days, at least for monks and nuns, they would be really very much out of it. But nowadays, it's difficult to find a monastery where you don't have access to the internet or may even need to have access to the internet because many things you can't do in any other way anymore. Now here, for example, I tried to go without internet, as you may remember, the first almost, what was it, eight years, Tamagiri didn't have internet. I never had uh, any gadgets myself. I didn't have email. I didn't have a phone, a computer, a laptop, whatever. In the end, it wasn't possible. One reason was you couldn't get good information for fire danger. It's only available on the internet, the latest one, the maps. Another one was communication with senior monks in my tradition. They also felt it's difficult if they can't communicate with me. A third one is things like visa. And anything has to do with government now, you have to really use internet. So even as a monk, it's quite difficult not to get some minimum information. Which to some extent is also good now that one at least has some information, that one doesn't follow anything that is harmful and hopefully joins whatever is good and beneficial. So usually for monks and nuns, the eightfold path there would be more on the side of staying out completely. And even if you recognize as a Buddhist monk that something is politically 
maybe going very wrong, we still wouldn't get any political involvement. On the other hand, if I'm teaching people the five precepts like today, and I see this, I'm aware of this awful war propaganda going on, now I can't, I feel it would also be wrong if I'm not explicitly given encouragement that people uh, don't get caught up in that and start supporting war, because that is uh, the worst form usually of breaking all precepts, starting with the first. And I tried uh, to give it a positive spin. So the question uh, Stefan asked is, of course, not so much related uh, for what we normally do this morning on focusing on internal samadhi, because it's a little bit uh, going out. But as the question was raised, and as it's an important one, and I wanted to comment on it, and I tried to give it some positive and encouraging uh, aspect by quoting these unsung heroes who made a conscious decision which may have potentially saved thousands or even millions of people's life in a quite courageous act of preventing war, not supporting violence. And my hope is that remembering these kind of people is something which doesn't give us grief, but encouragement, joy, happiness. So it is very important to practice sense restraint and yoniso monisikada, the wise attention. The crucial one is these feelings and of being upset or frustrated or overwhelmed or grief, what is happening in the world at large, they are always depending on, on contact. So if you don't see it on the television, you don't uh, see it on YouTube, you don't read it on Twitter, and you also don't think about it, then that feeling will not be there. The feeling, emotions, they're always dependent on sense contact. So this is how you can uh, reduce that quite dramatically by sense restraint and by wise attention. And very important, that includes also the mind door. So even if one is not on YouTube and internet and television all the time, uh, the mind may be still thinking about that. But in a, a sense restraint refers also to the mind. And we have to learn to put these things down. And over, you have to be informed to some extent, and even more so in lay life. But we have to learn... Uh, to see the, you know, the limit, how much information do I actually need, and when does it become kind of disaster entertainment because there's a kind of perverted interest in this funny that we are like to read about a war, we already know that we're not supporting that and it's awful, so why do I have to know the details? But there's still this strange interest in the mind that even with these negative things, that it's a little bit kind of entertaining, maybe just like horror movies. And people go into horror movies, why do they do that? Even horror can be entertaining and we can get addicted to that. So it's really important to um, put a limit on that. And like with many things, you know, the right measure is very difficult. It's easier not to do it all or try to completely ignore it. But how do you do that, particularly in lay life? So we have to find the right measure, just enough information in terms of accessing that via internet, television, radio, 
also talking. But then the next step also mentally. And certainly you know, when one comes here, ideally you know, one should be able to put it down. And when you sit down in meditation, one should be able to at least temporarily and put it aside. That's a skill we have to learn anyhow. Because even without internet, and even in the Buddha's time, you read people say, oh, I have to go now. Um, Bhagavan, I have to go now. And because I'm very busy, we have a lot to do. And they had stuff that they were thinking about. There were also wars and this and that. That has always been the case. So we have to learn that for a particular, once you do formal meditation, that is no longer the time to worry about the state of the world. And the state of the world was always bad in a sense. And even in, if there wasn't any war, we would still all die from old age or some sickness. So now ultimately our aim is to um, get out of the whole thing anyhow. Because this whole world is built up out of ignorance and the whole world is a world of sensual experience, the six sense spheres. And the experience of Nibbana is the cessation of the six sense spheres, which is the cessation of the whole universe. This is a perspective that is very helpful to apply if you ever feel overwhelmed. Our task is not, as a Buddhist practitioner, to turn this world into paradise. That is totally impossible. If you try to do that, you would be on mission impossible. What we try to do is that our contribution to this world is a positive one and that we are not doing anything uh, harmful, that we are not contributing to any of the harmful things. And that is obviously already making a small contribution to improving the whole situation. And if more people join in with that, then it can be a quite powerful improvement. But at the same time, we are aware that even if more people join in, this world will not turn into into paradise. So we also do that with a sense of equanimity and with the understanding that ultimately the task is not to completely let go of the world in, in all respects. Another reflection, if you really feel down, once we pass away and we have kept good precepts, we have been generous, we have conviction about rebirth, and the efficacy of karma, you tend to go to Devaloka, and then you're out of it all. It's kind of not quite perfect, but the Shangri-La-like or paradise-like world already exists. It's right there, we can't see it. And the access ticket, the entry ticket, is basically a precept, generosity, and some a basic wide view about rebirth and the effects of karma. And that is already enough. And uh, I sometimes use that reflection. And this is only one of many different worlds. And uh, in all the deva lokas, you, you wouldn't be affected by that anymore. Particularly once you go above Tavatingsa level, there is no more war, there is no more stealing and killing and all this bad stuff happening. So sometimes you may want to balance it 
And the Buddha gave that as a reflection, particularly to the lay community, Devatanusati, the recollection of Devas, recollection of the divine words, because it's the opposite effect than contemplating what is wrong in this world. And you get distressed and grieved. But if you contemplate you know, that these Deva words actually exist, and that now so many of the great disciples are living there right now already, and that you can go there yourself in what is in cosmic terms a very short time, even if you live to 120 years in cosmic terms is very short, and then one can spend a long time there, that can be a very uplifting reflection. And ultimately, you know, to remind us you know, that uh, the, the task is you know, to let go of the world. The main task is not trying to make this world perfect. The main task, you know, if your real understanding of the Dhamma, is to abandon all attachment to the world. Because even the best situation in the most peaceful country, you, know, you would still have old age, sickness, death and rebirth. But we are keeping, in order to abandon the world, we already have to do a good contribution by keeping precepts, by practicing generosity, by developing loving kindness and compassion. And while we are doing that, the world is already improving by that. And people may say this is a very small contribution, but now often uh, the, the big contributions end up uh, creating lots of harm if people try uh, to change in a big way by some revolution or whatever. In the end, you may uh, create quite a bit of harm by that. But if our own interaction is based on the precepts, based on compassion and kindness, generosity, if we make a positive contribution to improve the world, but the main task remains in developing the eightfold path in our heart that we can get out of the world. So, yeah, it was quite a lot of talking, but I got two very uh, profound and not easy to ask questions. And what I said, please, it's not meant as an exhaustive answer, but just as some reflections I like to suggest or offer on this in a very pertinent question and we probably have to all work on these two questions quite a bit and try to use our wisdom and the guidance of the Buddha what is the best approach there was that another one still is there another question or I should better let you meditate no? so now is the time definitely to put everything aside and to not allow the mind when you meditate now to go to any of these external questions but uh, to simply reflect that even the worst evil as well as the greatest evil and everything is impermanent there and the way getting out of this world and all its problems is within this one fathom long body endowed with consciousness and perception by developing the eightfold path in our heart. Thank you for the very good questions. <laughs>